You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, on Thursday, October 26th. And yes, we are back here as the illegal aliens. We are the true illegal aliens because we are strangers in our own land. You know, more and more, I'm looking at Washington and I'm looking at the culture. I'm looking at the corporations that control everything, the lobbyists. And we always are the visitors. They always have home field advantage. American sovereignty is illegal. The world could come here, demand rights, and they're in the right. We're in the wrong. You know, we don't have the right to live unregulated with our life, liberty, and property, purchase what we want, uh, engage in commerce when we want. Nope, but the insurance cartel, they're, they're entitled to endless subsidies. CBO tells us that if you spend more, you get less. And, yeah, you mean you save money? And if you spend less, well, then you have to pay more money. So by bailing out insurance companies, we're going to save money. Everything's backwards. Everything's transgender. Man is woman, woman is man. Um, and that's the society we're living in today. And we, we could apply this to our body politic broadly, but specifically, I want to delve more into immigration, into the courts, uh, following up on some of our previous discussions, what's going on with that. What's funny, and he wasn't even talking about immigration. I look at Marco Rubio. He was asked by a reporter... This was uh, Betsy Klein. Um, she is a reporter for CNN. And there was some sort of exchange there asking about Jeff Flake and, you know, what's, you know, why things aren't working out and there's so much division. And it was really funny listening to Marco Rubio. He said, um, where is this? Let, let me, I think one thing that I'd hope we're all in, I don't want to get overly philosophical here. I used to make fun of philosophers, but I'm not saying America is Rome, but if you look at the history of Rome, one of the things, one interesting thing about Rome at its peak, one of the things that Rome did very well was it was able to include people. In essence, at the peak of the Roman Empire, they had Britons, Spaniards, North Africans, Greeks, Egyptians, and they were very good at integrating people. But what tore them apart were two things. And he goes on to talk about, you know, the problems in the Roman Senate, um, and the breakdown of societal norms and behaviors. <laughs> and culturally, morally. Now, he's right about the second thing, the truth be told. Um, he absolutely is right about that. But what's lost on him is he extolled the virtues of the first thing and didn't realize how that story ends. Yeah, uh, Rome kind of went downhill because it became balkanized. Uh, anyone will tell you that. And part of the breakdown is the balkanization. Now, I believe me, to make it clear, I'm not blaming all the societal problems 
on too much immigration, too much illegal immigration, third world immigration, Middle East immigration, but it certainly exacerbates and accentuates the pre-existing problems in, in you know, our own culture here. Uh, it, you know, now is the worst time to have balkanization. But it's just funny, of all people, an open borders guy like Rubio talking about, hey, Rome was pretty good at integrating. Oh, yeah, it's actually the fall of the Roman Empire. And I take that, and you know I've been doing a series of articles on stolen sovereignty, on strangers in our own land, on the laws of sovereignty and borders being backwards, literally backwards. And, you know, we 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 did a report based on census data on a number of, of insane trends in immigration. But since I put that out last week, our buddies at Center for Immigration Studies, Stephen Camerata, Karen Ziegler, put out another another analysis of the census data. And it is utterly insane. 65.5 million residents in this country spoke a foreign language at home in 2016. 65 million. Folks, that's pretty much one in every five per people. It's about 21.6% of the population, a little bit more. That, that's the country at large. Now, California, it's close to 45% of the entire state speaks a language other than English at home. Okay? 45%. That's mind-boggling, meaning this is not one or two counties. This is the state average. And, all right, well, California, you know, everyone in this audience knows by now California is long gone. Um, that, that could never be American. You can never sustain a melting pot like that. That's not our tradition. But you look at Texas, New Mexico, New Jersey, New York, Nevada, and... You know, we're they're headed in the same direction. Texas is 36%. New Mexico, 34. New Jersey, 32. New York, Nevada, 31. Florida, 29. Arizona, 27. Keep in mind, you know, these are states that are going to become very hard to win. Very, very hard to win. Um... You know, so both from a conservative political perspective, but also from a country perspective in terms of assimilation. You know, you look at obviously the language, the 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 number one, the growth in language. Arabic is pretty much one of the, you know, fastest growing languages. 1.2 million people in this country speak Arabic at home. <laughs> that, that, that should scare you all. Um you know, obviously Spanish is, is 40.1 million. It's the largest overall numbers, but it didn't have the largest increase um, because it's been that way for a little while. So it's a 9% increase, but there was a 42% increase since 2000 in those who speak Arabic. So basically, the number of people speaking Arabic grew by 42% since 9-11. Lovely. Okay. Now, you look at the areas of of growth now first of all i just, I just want to go through um a couple other stats here you know you look at a state like colorado it's 17 percent speak a language other than english at home 
You want to know why we're having trouble winning that? Well, that's that's the story. Virginia is up to 16.2%. Even Georgia is up to 14%. North Carolina is up to 11.5 and so on. So, you know, that's that's one measure there. That that is one measure um of of how crazy this is. But I go on. The, it, it gets even worse than that. Gets it gets much worse than that. What about children over five that aren't proficient in English? They cannot speak English well. However, that's defined by the census data. So you know, there's one thing you speak a language at home. And, and look, I don't big. There's nothing inherently wrong with speaking another language at home. Obviously, if you have immigrants. So, you know, for the first generation, that's going to happen. But this is a measure of how much it is that's too much. You can't have that many people being in that situation. Obviously, even if you have low immigration, there will be a certain amount of the immigrants you do have. They'll be speaking another language at home. But because you have less of it, the kids will then, they won't be balkanized. They'll be assimilated immediately and, you know, speak English, which is the glue of our country. Right. So in California, 18.6% of of the entire population is not proficient in English. I mean, this is not a U.S. territory. This is a U.S. state. It's the largest state, largest economy. It's not America anymore. We are strangers in our own land. Strangers in our own land. Um, it it is just really, really eye opening. So we'll we'll link to this in show notes and and look, you guys, you guys, let me know what you think. Um, I I just don't understand why nobody's talking about this. You know, you go to Washington, it's all about more, more. We need more. We need more. Not enough. You're not doing enough for immigrants. You're not doing enough for illegal immigrants. Amnesty, DACA, 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 DACA fix. What about an Americanization fix? What about us? What about the forgotten man? Um, what are we, chop, chopped liver? And yeah, I mean, the, the answer is we are. That's exactly what we are. I mean, all the polling data shows one of the most popular things is to at least make English the official language. Stop any funding for bilingual education. Obviously, make any government, you know, official government stuff um, in in English. You know, you had the famous Teddy Roosevelt quote. I think days, if not hours, before he passed away in January 1919. We have room for but what one flag, the American flag. We have room for but one language, and that is the English language. And you know. One other thing on this, before we move on to another part of immigration, just with with the language, and and this is just fascinating, former Democrat Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and by the way, if you want to know, if you want to just encapsulate how dramatically the Democrat Party has shifted to the alt-left to so extreme cultural Marxism, you look at what a Democrat used to be, and this wasn't a Southern Democrat, it was a New York Democrat, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, um, he was more conservative on so many issues, uh, even than than um, gosh, than Republicans are today. And one of the things he he wrote an essay, I think, of the New Yorker. Um, I'm forgetting when this was. It was maybe in the 90s. So it, it was. I mean, this was. It's funny because these studies were quoting our contrasting 
the situation now relative to the 90s. I mean, the massive growth we've had since then. I mean, we would die to go back to the 90s. But he was saying even then that all the nostalgic revisionism of some of his colleagues regarding the poem on the Statue of, of Liberty, right? They're saying, oh, you know, that that uh, we're, we're just going to bring everyone in. We're going to uh, give me your tired and your poor. Um, it's funny what he always said. So he said, just I'm just quoting here. He said, um, the, the immigrants of the Great Wave were not the wretched refuse of anyone's shore, of anybody's shores. You know, a play off the the poem, the you know Emma Lazarus's poem, and he described them in stark contrast to to today's massive wave as quote extraordinary, enterprising, and self sufficient folk who knew exactly what they were doing and doing it quite on their own. Thank you very much. They didn't need the molly coddling. And instead, today, we have bilingual education, and we actually foster that. So, you know, no, nobody's giving voice to that. But anyway, let's go back to the broad theme we've been po- focusing on, stolen sovereignty, strangers in our own land, and, you know, what the government's doing. Or, or really not doing, the opposite of what they're doing. So, you know, let, let me just read to you some things. A sheriff's department in Oregon is investigating its own deputies for malfeasance. Their crime? Possibly working with ICE officials to help rid their communities of criminal aliens. So now we're prosecuting or investigating those who want to follow law. Okay? That's one thing. Now, a new report, there's a border surge we've talked about for a while after the you know, um, influx decreased because people thought that Trump would be tough on things. There's a resumption of the border surge, and ICE agents have now confirmed with BuzzFeed that there are so many fathers crossing illegally with their children that there's not enough space to detain them. So guess what? They're being released into our communities. Again, strangers in our own land. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, we, we cited this a couple of months ago, they declared the entire state of Massachusetts a sanctuary. So they said that officials are not allowed to cooperate with ICE agents. And it's interesting because people criticize Judge Roy Moore, who was a state judge, that for not following a federal judicial edict. Yet blue state courts all the time nullify not federal court decisions, which shouldn't which aren't the law, their opinions, they nullify statute and our most foundational federal powers, which, are, which is sovereignty laws. So guess what? The guy who was the subject, the plaintiff of that case that prompted the court to declare the state a sanctuary. Yes, you got it. We cannot get standing to sue when they don't follow law, but illegals could get standing to nullify our own sovereignty laws. So guess what? This dude, this guy, um, whatever his name was, I can't even read. It's a Cambodian name. He's from Cambodia. Uh, this guy said that, oh, it's, it's Strignon Lon. So this guy was arrested for allegedly slapping a 65-year-old wheelchair-bound woman in the face and stealing $2,000 after she uh, exited a bank. That is the guy that is more powerful than you and me. That piece of dirt 
who should never have been in the country, should have been deported long ago, long ago, got standing in a court to declare Massachusetts a sanctuary. Um, what else? I don't have enough time to go through all these cases. I'll link to it in the article, but you could see more than there. I'll read to you one more from my article. Uh, while the courts all over the country are blocking the federal government from clamping down on sanctuary cities, a district judge in Texas blocked the state from enforcing its own laws as well against the cities that are sanctuaries within Texas. So meanwhile, California can block immigration law with impunity and private citizens are not granted standing to sue for the crime, the cost of healthcare, education, their communities, bilingual language, as we said. And guess what? Guess what? The Mexican government has now been allowed to file an amicus brief in the Texas case demanding that we not enforce laws against sanctuary cities. The Mexican government is heard. Neo-Confederate sanctuary cities, their voice is heard. The corporations, their voices are heard. The criminal aliens are heard. Our voice is not heard. I mean, this is sickening. We are strangers in our own land. Our laws, our governance by consent of govern. The idea that we only admit people by the consent of the nation, of the people as a whole. Not a special interest, not a corporation, but the people as a whole. That is deeply rooted in the social compact theory, which is referenced in, in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. That has been nullified. We have no control over our own country. Our country has become a dumping ground, and there's not a darn thing we can do about it. They can come here, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, and do anything they want. And that brings me to the big case I wanted to talk about. As you well know, kind of the capstone of this, the ultimate case, where now a 17-year-old girl among the many, you know, people from the growing influx of immigration from Central America came here to have an abortion. It's clear now from the court documents, it wasn't just incidental, you know, she got pregnant. She came here, you know, we have economic migrants, we have jihadist migrants, we have, you know, people come here for different reasons. So now we have abortion migrants. People who can't get elective abortion procedures in their home country, they're going to come here to get an abortion. So they come here illegally, assert jurisdiction, and demand that we give them access to an abortion. So the Obama administration, uh, the Trump administration didn't want to do it. Of course, she gets standing to go to court. The D.C. District Court gives her, yep, you have to do it. It's a constitutional right. It went to an appeal. A three-judge panel said, well, at least let's give the government the uh, option of, you know, waiting for a week or two to see if she could be released to someone's custody and then do what you want so government's not directly violating their conscience. Um, and then it went to the Embank full panel and six to three because they have an insurmountable majority. I've said this many times. The second most powerful court in the country has created a right for people to come here purposely and demand an abortion and get it. And we're the criminals. We're we're holding them hostage. We're blocking them. We're the ones trying to how dare us infringe upon their rights. Literally how they're talking. So I'm going to link to in show notes the article where Karen Henderson, I was I didn't even think she was that good. I'm so I was surprised. She issued the best dissent yet. Obviously, 
asserted plenary power doctrine. What in the world is this notion that an immigrant has the a legal immigrant has the right to come here to get any rights? There is no Fifth Amendment right. You do not have due process rights. It's an uninterrupted in, in, in an uninterrupted stream of settled case law. The only Fifth Amendment means that we can't beat you up or imprison you for no reason without deporting you, but to deport, to certainly not to affirmatively grant you positive privileges, you have no rights. But yet, that's now settled law. And what happened? What happened? So ORR, in their alacrity to just obsequiously follow whatever the court says that's so lawless drove her to an abortion clinic and, and took her out of detention before DOJ could even go and file an appeal with, with the Supreme Court. So now we're not even vetting this in front of the Supreme Court. We're not even demanding and forcing the issue out in the public that you are now saying there's an, a, a right for someone to come here and create a chain migration abortion uh, business. By the way, it's funny. So it's one or the other. Either they could come here and, and have a baby and demand that they're citizens against our will or demand that we abort them against our will. How about none of the above? How about you get the hell out of our country and you go home and you have your baby there or you abort it there and leave us alone? We're, we're, we're here minding our own business. But yet we're the ones infringing upon their rights, we're told. By the courts, by the politicians, you know, as, as I'm talking, I have on the background, you know, on mute, the Senate, uh, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, they have an oversight hearing on refugees, and some of the Democrats were talking about this case, and it's like, we're infringing upon their rights. And by the way, another interesting thing, um, you know, that I've, I've gleaned from this, this hearing, Raul Labrador, you know, congressman from... Idaho, he is the subcommittee chairman, he asked the government officials, uh, dude, like, we don't know anything about the Australian refugee dump. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago, America becoming a dumping ground where Australia took the worst of the worst of their refugees that they refused to let on their shores, which we should be doing, by the way, instead of putting them on our shores and giving, giving them all sorts of rights. And they didn't want them, so we we agreed to take them in. And the Trump administration is doing it. And he said, why don't we know anything about it? Why are we finding out the details in the media? And they said, well, it's, it's classified. Well, why can't we on the immigration subcommittee with oversight over these agencies know what, what happened here? Nothing. Well, I'll try to declassify it. And by the way, that's another thing. Um, I mean, some were worse than others. There were several people. One was the ORR guy. One was the USCIS guy. But the State Department guy, the head of the assistant secretary for what is it called? Um, Bureau of Population and Refugees, Migration and Refugees. Uh, that, that's the most critical, in my view, the kind of doorkeeper of the refugee program. We, we kept Obama's people. You know, Trump never even put in his own person there. So – you know, guess guess what? It's the fox is guarding the hen house here. So anyway, anyway, we're not allowed to know. Shut up and mind your own business. It's like we're being tied down against our will, and anyone's allowed to come here, assert rights, and we can't enforce our own laws. Our own legacy is unconstitutional. Our own laws are unconstitutional. But lawlessness is, is the highest order of man, because the court said so. 
We are strangers in our own land. So what are the politicians doing about it? Is there an emergency on behalf of Republicans and the Trump administration to immediately have an asylum fix, an interior enforcement fix, a court fix, a sanctuary city fix, and pass the RAISE Act to deal with what's going on now, to end the chain migration, to restore America? No, none of that. There's a frantic push for amnesty and for more guest worker programs to bring in more people from Mexico, Central America, and frankly, we're, we're slowly bleeding them dry anyway. So you look at the fertility rates even dropping there, it's going to be eventually Somali. So in the middle of Iowa, you're going to have meatpacking plants that now you know create communities full of riffraff. Um. And by the way, despite the stuff that they say, oh, they're not eligible for this, is temporary. We all know we don't have good visa tracking. You create a massive program like they just created. Uh, they're going to, a lot of them are going to stay here, especially if they have anchor babies. They're here forever. Then they can get welfare on their behalf. Um, but no, we're not going to fix that before. So that's what they're doing. So, so what, you know, what do they do this week? I find it amazing that supposedly this was the big kickoff of tax reform that this is the first week in 30 years that we're going to reform the tax code so you would think if you're a corporate lobbyist this is super bowl this is the big week for you you know we're gonna it's all on the line our future's on the line yet this was to them this was immigration week and they fanned out promoting amnesty and guest workers it's, it's just astounding at how embedded the corporate America is into cultural Marxism. Fiscal Marxism, too. Certainly, they're doing that with Obamacare, but cultural Marxism as well. You just, you just contrast. You contrast this to 100 years ago when the Great Wave was not nearly as large as transformational, among other factors, as today. And yet, in 1921, they said, look, there's a unanimous agreement. This has to end. While we craft a long-term bill, which they passed in 1924, they passed a short-term immediate shutoff. Do you know that that shutoff passed 78 to 1 in the Senate and unanimous consent in the House? And it was very simple. The accompanying committee report with the bill said, our capacity to assimilate has limits. And we've reached it. And that was unanimous. You know, there are certain provisions that people disagreed with, ultimately 1924, um, that they could have, you know, done without. But the broad consensus, everyone understood that. There was no self-immolation back then. Now we're at the point where, and I have an article I'll link to in show notes if you haven't seen it. Let me just give you a synopsis to this juxtaposition. On the one hand, the IRS... Under Trump, yes, Koskinen is still running the IRS because evidently Trump is friends with him back from his New York real estate days. Koskinen put on the IRS website that they are going to zealously enforce the individual mandate for people who want to evacuate from Obamacare. So even during the Obama administration, they didn't enforce – if you left Box 61, that's the question whether you have continuous coverage. Um, if you left that blank, they wouldn't 
hold up your tax return. They might follow up with you and ask you questions and give you a hard time, maybe, maybe not, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't automatically scuttle the tax return. Last year, Obama announced, no, he's going to start clamping down on that, meaning for this year's, you know, for 2017 when you do the tax returns. Well, Obama, you know, is not in office anymore because now Trump controls the 2016 tax returns because they're done, obviously, um, you know, in 20 in 2017. Well, I'm I'm sorry, I meant it was it was for 2017 tax returns. I got, I got my years mixed up there. This will be applied in 2018. Um, 27 tax returns. So all he could have done is just revert back to what Obama did the first few years of Obamacare. But yet they're enforcing that. So on hardworking Americans that have an unalienable right to purchase what they want and not purchase what they don't want. And again, these are the people that aren't being subsidized. I don't want to be subsidized. I don't want to be regulated. I don't want to be fined. Leave me alone. No, you can't be left alone. At the same time, that they're overzealously enforcing the individual mandate, they're not enforcing the provisions of the 1996 Welfare Act, and they're allowing illegal aliens to get refundable tax credits, which are welfare in all but name only. So we're not asking for refundables. We just say, hey, we pay a lot in taxes. Don't fine us for not purchasing your, uh, you know, healthcare where you tripled our, our, our premiums and we can't afford them. And we don't get subsidies. But illegal aliens could get taxpayer funds. About $45 billion over 10 years. That's how much it costs with the additional child tax credit. And by the way, they're officially not eligible for the earned income tax credit because you have to issue a social security number. Um, but, you know, a lot of them engage in identity theft. They, they get that. And in addition to that, the so-called DACA people who got social security cards are getting the EITC as well. So both refundable tax credits, and I highly doubt the IRS, in light of the new official suspension of DACA, I doubt they're going to clamp down on that. And I doubt when the so-called dreamers file their tax returns, I doubt they are not going to get their their refundable tax credits. Strangers in our own land. I mean, it, it would be so easy for the IRS to just check with the Social Security Administration, run the names through that to see if you're eligible, you know, if you're here legally and are eligible for, for the refundables. But no, they, they won't do it. So there's your Republican administration for you. But anyway, you know, I, um, I put this out, this article out, several articles out. And, you know, one of the people on my email distribution list is uh, Louis Gohmert. And he's on the Judiciary Committee. And at the time, the Judiciary Committee was marking up this big, massive guest worker bill, which at a baseline will bring in 450000 a year, low-skilled, very low-skilled workers from the third world, as if we don't have enough already. Without reducing our low-skilled immigration, without reducing our low-skilled refugees, our asylum, without anything, just straight up doing this. And, you know, he he emails me back, um, my head is swimming in this markup. The Dems are fighting for the rights of American worker and the unfairness of lower wages that all the illegal immigrants already cause, while the Republicans take up for big business and its need for lots more workers because the jobs Americans won't do, you know, sarcastically. 
that's right, we don't have a wall or a secure border or Obamacare appeal or tax reform that we were all promised, but by golly, we're going to sure as heck prioritize bringing in cheaper labor so American taxpayers can for all the things, the wages, they don't. This is so wrong, and I'm the bad guy and non-team player. I, I just wanted to give that over to you, that there are some good people that stand for the forgotten man. Uh, Louis Gomer and Steve King voted against this. But, you know, some other good guys, they got roped in, and, and you know, let me let me just give you a sense of why this party is broken and why we will never, ever fix it and why we need a new movement and a new party. What happens is you can't change their hearts and minds. You can change and tweak their statutes within their broader plans, their legislation, I mean, but it's very clear they're going to give us the guest worker stuff, they're going to give us the amnesty, and they're not going to give the stuff we want. But what they do is they say, all right, here's what we're doing. We're not going to do your stuff. We're going to do our stuff. But what does it take to get you to yes? Not, not that we're saying what does it take to get you guys to yes on their GOP platform. But So then the guy was like, look, the goose is cooked. They're already doing it. Big business wants it. So let's demand E-Verify. So you know, Ron DeSantis had an amendment, and they did pass it, that before any of this goes into place, mandatory E-Verify has to go into place. And not just on the ag workers, but across the board. And that would that would really dry up the magnet. But here's the deal. It, they're never going to do it. Even if somehow they bring it to the floor, the Senate is not bound by that. And the Senate will pass the guest worker stuff without the E-Verify. And without some of the other reforms they had in here. In other words, so they're basically right now there's H-2A and H-2B. And they're abolishing them but replacing with H-2C. So they're grandfathering in all the H2A, H2Bs. And by the way, it has an amnesty provision too because even those that are working illegally in it could then sign up for H2C, go back to their country, re-sign, you know, sign up, and then it kind of cleanses their illegal status. They can come back here, apply for H2C. Now, here's the trick. Right now, H2A, H2B don't have any caps officially. But the way the programs are structured and the, just the reality of the market and what's coming, what's going is that we get about 160000 This program creates 450000 and it makes sure that they're going to get it because it, it, it grows it to forestry, to fishing, to dairy. I'm forgetting the other food processing so and beef and meat packing. So the one thing that they successfully did is that they limited it on the meat packing. It's only for certain entry level meat packing jobs um and other limitations they they placed on it. So they made they made the bill better. The conservatives tried to make it better. Um you know cuz meat packers a lot of them, you know, in the non-entry level the jobs they can get paid $25 an hour. So again, this is what we do. We bring in the third world, depress wages and then demand wage controls and a whole, you know, price fixing. And what, why, why don't we just have a normal country and bring in the normal people we would bring in naturally and then let the chips fall where they were and not have wage controls. But, you know, that's, that's what we do. But nonetheless, it allowed Democrats to outflank them. It's funny. I was watching the hearing on refugee oversight and, you know, some of the conservatives were rightfully yelping about, um, just the vetting and everything. And Zoe Lungfer, Lung, Lungren, whatever her name is, from California, makes fun of the Repu- Republicans and said, just 24 hours ago, the same committee just passed, you know, bringing a, a million guest workers and said, look, if I'm if I'm a terrorist uh, or jihadist, I, I would I would 
going through that more than a refugee program. And the truth is, she's right in some way. I mean, not to say that the refugee program is not a problem. It's just as bad. But, you know, this is how we allow the Democrats to expose our right flank. But also, moreover, it's just this is what happens with our good members. They just cope with the situation. Rather than giving voice and saying, no, you will pass the RAISE Act and end chain migration. But nope. We're strangers in our own land. Um, we're at a time. I want to give over to you just one more anecdote of what's gone on in, in Congress to, to demonstrate how backwards they are in their priorities. So rather than Congress asserting itself over the courts and kicking them out of jurisdiction over immigration, let me, let me give you the following story. So you all know the Davis-Oliver Enforcement Act. It clamps down on the courts a little bit. It clamps down on sanctuary cities. It expedites, um, you know, it, it, it promotes expedited deportations. Good bill. Passed unanimously. Um, when I say unanimously, I mean among Republicans on the Judiciary Committee and two consecutive Congresses. Never has seen the light of day on the floor. Which is why I don't buy these promises. Oh, don't worry, we'll have you verify, but give us our guest worker program because we know the guest worker program, the amnesties, they will get a vote. The enforcement will will never get a vote, um, and certainly not by Camberley in the House and the Senate. You know, the House might, you know, after a lot of pressure, relent, knowing that the Senate will never take it up, and they'll never pressure the Senate to take it up, and you know, have it signed into law. So anyway, what one of the disgusting things they did is that there's this woman named Barbara Comstock from Northern Virginia who is a puke. And she's one of the darlings of leadership. So she wanted, you know, a talking point in her district that she's fighting against MS-13 gangs. So she stole one provision of Davis Oliver, the you know, expanding the definition of gangs to ensure that they're deported. Um you know, because that applies even to legal immigrants if you join a gang, and severed it off and co-sponsored sponsored it as her own bill. And by the way, she's not even on committee. So the members that worked hard to get the, they can't even get it get it passed. She stole this and allowed this to be brought to the floor immediately. Oh, but leave the rest of the bill behind. So that in itself is kind of raunchy. But. An astute staffer tipped me off to this, and I verified it by looking at the legislation. Not only did they do this, but they bastardized that provision. This is Section 311 of the Davis-Oliver Bill. And they made sure to ensure that the courts have no judicial review over these deportations of gang members. She put in an entire section, a long provision, inviting the courts to all sorts of bites at the apple to get involved and block deportation of MS-13 gang members. Meanwhile, she goes back to her district and says, oh, I'm fighting gangs. Folks, this is a party that you cannot fix, and we should not try fixing. We need an outside game to promote our issues. We need a movement and a vehicle to do so. I promise you I will continue to the best of my small ability in my small shop to try to be that voice, to try to stand up for the forgotten man, the strangers in our own land, and right this ship on our dyslexic, immoral priorities on sovereignty and the American people. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you all. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.